you have a Bible tonight, open up to Psalms uh, chapter 130. Psalms 130, and today, Lord willing, we're going to cover a few chapters in the book of Psalms. Um, and one of the ways that I was looking at it, and I know these things are difficult to outline sometimes, but if you can, um, maybe you'll see it as you're reading through the text. Psalm 130, what we find is a hope for grace. And we're going to see basically what happens is this individual was being disciplined by the Lord because of their sin. And, um, and, and so they're kind of like in a situation, um, I don't know um, how to describe it, kind of like the children of Israel when they were in Babylon for 70 years. And then the day came where they were uh, able to come out, and it was a different life. So sometimes we are being disciplined by God. Sometimes we find ourselves in a season of life where we're disciplined by God, but thank God for his forgiveness. Because the day comes, man, where the discipline gets lifted. Uh, have any of you guys, uh, maybe when you were younger, were you ever grounded by your parents? How many of you here ever experienced maybe a discipline like that? Most of you guys just probably got beat up or something, huh? But, you know, every once in a while you, you hear, okay, well, you can't go somewhere for two weeks or, or whatever. You know, you can't, you know, do, do this, this for a certain amount of time. Uh, you know, your phone's taken away for a few days or something. You know, the Lord does something similar to, to us. I mean, there are times, like he did with the children of Israel and others, where we're going to go through, uh, because of our sin, days of discipline. But, but as we repent, as we get right with God, he lifts it up, and there's this hope of grace and forgiveness. And so we're going to see that in Psalm 130, hope for grace that the discipline would be ending and then in Psalm 131, we're going to see hope for peace that passes understanding. You know, and basically, uh, you're going to find this a lot. I know some of you guys are really, 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 really smart. Some of you here, you know your Bible inside and out, and that's cool that you do. But let me tell you, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how much you know your Bible, how long you've been a Christian, you will not be able to figure out all the, the situations, all the, the saints, all the sinners in your life. You won't. And you can rack your brain, your brain trying to, but you're going to blow a fuse and you're going to blow your witness. What we need to do is uh, seek for a peace, not that, you know, we understand things, but it, it passes understanding. You know, Chuck Smith would always say, whenever you come across something you don't understand, fall back on what you do understand. And there will be many situations that you're not going to be able to figure out in life and many people that they just puzzle you. Well, don't, don't worry about them. Don't try to figure them out. You know, just love on them. Just love the Lord. And you watch what God does. Uh, His ways are so much higher than ours. And so we're going to see that in Psalm 131. And then in Psalm 132, it, it's a hope for Christ that Jesus would be, would be reigning. And so, uh, you know, we live in this crazy, crazy world, man. I mean, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just awful. Some people, 
the things that they go through are, are just uh, indescribable, you know. I, I think of the suffering, the sickness, the sin, the devastation, you know, the kidnappings, the murder, the drugs, the rapes. I mean, just the, the things that happen in this world. And, and you know, when you see it, it, if you're not, you know, really careful in your walk as a Christian, you could very easily lose heart. Someone did you wrong, they did you real wrong, you know, and, and you just want to give up. But, but what we've seen in that Psalm 132 is that it's, it, I know it's hard, and I'm not trying to make it, you know, uh, make light of your situation. But don't lose heart, because Jesus Christ has prevailed. Jesus Christ will rule from Jerusalem. We will experience life in heaven and millennial kingdom. And, you know, and sometimes that hope, that, that's the only hope that allows us to cope. Because sometimes, in, even in life, man, nothing, it seems like nothing goes right. But we got to know that one day uh, that hope is true. And we got to let that be an anchor for us. And so you see in all three Psalms, you know, the hope for grace, hope for peace, hope for Christ. And it's all about hope. And hope is important, right? Uh, I remember reading a story about a man who approached a little, uh, little league baseball game one afternoon. And he asked a boy in the dugout what the score was. And the boy responded, it was 18 to nothing. We're behind, 18 to nothing. And the, the man said, 18 to nothing? I'll bet you're discouraged. And the little boy said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even been up to bat yet. <laughs> you know, and I like that. I like that little boy. Hey, man, you know what? God's going to work, you guys. Don't lose heart. You may think you're losing. No, in Christ, you always win. So look at hope. In, in Psalm 130, notice what we read. It's a song of a sense. And it says, out of the depths... I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, there's that word, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You know, I, I remember reading that quote, and some of you guys are probably familiar with it, by, by Betsy Ten Boom. She said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And you got to understand, that's coming from a, a, a gal. Uh, her and her sister are in uh, uh, Ravensbrück, uh, a German concentration camp. You know, they're, they're from Holland. They're, they're Christians. They love the Lord. They've been trying to do God's work. And boom, here they find themselves in this situation. And, and what we find is that, man, sometimes we're in that pit. That's what we see this psalmist is. And from that pit, we pray. Notice again in verse 1, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. 
You know, we don't know the background to this psalm. Um, uh, like I said earlier, I have a hunch that it has to do with this individual going through some type of discipline or some type of consequences because of sin, because sin affects everybody, right? But, but as they're there, what's he doing? He's crying out uh, to the Lord. You know, and, and when you do that, you guys, when you really cry out to the Lord, he will lift you up. Uh, there's a psalm, if you want to turn there, to, to Psalm 71. Notice what it, it says in, in verse 20. Psalm 71, 20. You who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You know, and we find ourselves, man, going through crazy times and as we're there, what do we do? Um, we pray. We pray and know that God will hear our cry. And that's what this psalmist is doing right here. It is that back in Psalm 130, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And so, you know, here's where I, I can really relate to this psalm, man, because I find myself, I mess up all the time. You know, I, I, I just blow it. I, I, you know, I fail. Um, it's kind of interesting. I was listening to a study by Pastor Chuck Smith, and he, he was saying a lot of times that we think too highly of ourselves. And he went on to elaborate that, you know, because, you know, we think that, that we can live a life without failing without falling without stumbling without sinning and, and i know that sounds kind of funny you know because i don't want to make light of it i don't want you guys to go and just you know do whatever case sarah sarah but but do you actually think that you can live a life without sin when i sin it, it grieves me when i sin it breaks my heart when i sin i know it affects my wife and my kids and my witness and my church so I hate it. But the truth is that if you think you're, you're not, not going to sin, you probably think too highly of yourself. Because we're, we're, we're wicked, we're wretched, we're dirt, we're dust, we're frail, we're human, we're going to fall. And, and so knowing that, you know, it, it can really bring, man, some times of trouble, some condemnation of the, the enemy. enemy. But, but when you become a Christian and you begin to understand the blood, you begin to understand who Jesus is, you begin to understand that he keeps no record of wrongs. You begin to understand that there is forgiveness. There is true forgiveness with him. It changes everything. Now, I'm not talking about people who are unrepentant. I'm talking about people who are sincere. People who, you know, they, they do their best, commit the rest. People who are trying. You know what I'm talking about? So, so when that's you, there is forgiveness. You know, right here he talks about if you would keep record, if you marked iniquities, who could stand? You know, and it's true, huh? I mean, I mean, bottom line is, none of us could. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13.5 in the New Living Translation, it says that, that love keeps no record of wrongs. And that's how God is with us. He keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't deal with us according to our 
iniquities, you guys. And, and what that should do, and we're going to see later, you know, that, that it brings us to this place of worship. I think that a lot of times part of the problem with the church is that we don't get a good grip on grace. We don't understand the love of God. We don't understand the forgiveness of God. We don't understand that even though when we look in the mirror, we see all our blemishes and we see all our flaws and all our failures, that God doesn't see us that way. That when you become a Christian and you give your life to Christ, all your sins are washed away. And he sees only the beauty and purity of Jesus when he looks at you. See, we have to see ourselves. It's imperative that we see ourselves through the lenses of God's love. Because that changes everything. You know... Psalm uh, 103 is a, is a great passage. L- look, if you would. I'm, I'm not making light of sin, but the bottom line is, man, we all need God's grace. You know how I always tell you guys, we don't abuse it, but man, we sure do use it, huh? And maybe there's someone here today, you know, that you've failed the Lord, you've fallen short, and, you know, you barely made it here, you know, you don't even feel like you belong that's the enemy. You know, that's the enemy, man, because what God does, notice what it says in Psalm 103. It says in, in verse 10, He has not dealt with us according to, to our, our sins. So if He has not dealt with us according to our sins, don't deal with yourself according to your sins. Sometimes we, we limit ourselves. Sometimes we beat ourselves up. You know, there, there's a saying out there, and, and I've and I got to be really careful with this. Have you guys ever heard uh, people say, well, I, uh, I just have to learn to forgive myself? Have you guys heard people say that? Well, I, I, that's not really what, what I, I, I believe. I don't think you have to learn to forgive yourself. I think you just need to learn how God has forgiven you. Very important. Very important. It's life-changing. Notice how God, it says in verse 10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor, nor punished us according to our iniquities. In, in other, other words, words, He hasn't really dealt with us with, to, to what we really deserve. He's been so merciful. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his own children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You guys, one day we will not sin. One day we'll be home and we won't have this inclination to sin. We won't have this sin nature. No, we're not there yet. Now, of course, we always aim for the bullseye, but, but we're going to miss the mark. And as we do, going through life, you know, God's going to deal with us. God's going to give us the rancaso. We're going to get disciplined. But, man, it's so cool to know that as we're praying, Lord, help me through this. Lord, uh, I, I, I want to, I you, know, you know, escape <laughs> this, this place, place of, of Babylon, man, this bondage, this, this discipline I'm in. Lord, bring me back to where I belong. God will do that. Now, Psalm 130, it says, 
that there is forgiveness with you in verse 4, that you may be feared. And and that word fear there in the Hebrew language, it, it carries the idea of worship. It's a general word for fear, but it also carries the idea of reverence and worship. You know, and that's kind of like the response to, 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 to God's grace. You know, a worship. You know, when I think of worship, I think a couple of things. Number one, I think of the, I went to a, a musical yesterday, and I was just kind of like overwhelmed at the end of the, the musical because it was about Christmas. Uh, just the joy, the joy um, that they expressed in the music. You know how that, there's that Christmas song, Joy to the World? Well, if you do it like with a lot of joy, it's very contagious, you know? And so, wow, I'm forgiven. Wow, um, God sees no sin. I mean, it's just there's this worship, uh, uh, expressive joy. But, but also, worship is not just uh, singing songs. Uh, worship is living a life. You know, so it's kind of cool the way that it works, you know, that when you're forgive, forgiven, by God, it, it brings us to a place when we're forgiven of our sins. Well, we don't want to sin anymore. You know, and that's what he's saying right here. There is, there is forgiveness with you, Lord, that, that you may be feared. And so in verse 5, he says, I, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, yes, more than those who watch for the morning. And so, you know, again, like I said, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, where we are. Sometimes I even wonder about my own life. Lord, am I being, you know, disciplined by you? Only God knows. Sometimes I search my heart and I wonder. I wouldn't blame him, you know, for disciplining me. But, but there's this waiting that's going on in my life. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm learning to love you. I'm learning to seek you. I'm learning to pray. I'm learning, Lord, what it is to, to be a husband, to be a dad, to be a, a friend. I'm, I fall so short, Lord. I'm learning, you know, and there's this growing going on. And we're going to see it later in the Psalms. And, and what we're doing is that as we, you know, are seeking God, we're waiting for him. You know, we're waiting, hey, man, God is going to move. God is going to move. And, and so, so we're, we're waiting, not, you know, with foot tapping impatiently, you know, you know, heart stomping, foot stomping demandedly, but, but just this heart uh, of expectantly, God is going to move. You know, like this guy is, is waiting for the morning. So he's waiting for the morning. Now, that can mean two things. Either one, you, you know the sun's coming. You know, the night is there, Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may endure for the night, yeah, yeah but, but joy comes in the morning. And so when you're in the, in the night, you know. You know the sun is coming. You're waiting with expectancy, eager anticipation, great expectation. God's going to move. God's going to save my loved one. I know it. I know it. This is the type of faith that we have to have. God is going to work in my life. God's going to pull me out of the pit. I know it. You're waiting like, you know, you wait for the morning. Sometimes I wake up before the sun, and I know the sun's coming. And as I'm I'm there there. and I'm praying before the sun even rises, I I thank him for the sun. Lord, thank you for that sun is shining 
And you haven't even seen it yet, but you know. See, that, that's when you come to this place in your life as a Christian, it's a beautiful place. And so there is that part of you that's just waiting with eager expectation, great anticipation. Those who wait on the Lord, Isaiah 40, is so great. They mount up with wings like eagles. They shall they'll walk and not be weary. They'll run. They won't faint. It's so cool what God does. But, but it, also, it can also mean, like Psalm 30 verse 5 says, that if you're waiting for the morning, there's something about the comfort of the morning. Have you guys ever been uh, scared at night? The cuckooies there? Have you guys ever been there? It's kind of scary. You know, and then it's kind of like when the morning comes, like, okay, whew, now I feel better. There's something about the day. There's something about, you know, this that, that brings comfort now. And, uh, and some people believe, well, maybe that's what he's talking about as well. You know, like you're waiting for, for that morning. You're, you're not going to be afraid because, man, it just hits home. And so, you know, I don't know. There's this hope. There's this hope in God's grace. You know, maybe you're here tonight and you haven't dotted every I. You haven't crossed every T. Maybe you're here tonight and you've blown it miserably. Does that mean it's over for you? No. No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I love what we read in verse um, 7. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? And with him is abundant mercy redemption and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities and maybe you're here tonight and you need to circle that word all because <laughs> you're thinking well yeah he'll, he'll redeem me from most of my iniquities no all of them I, I love the way that it says uh, abundant redemption Abundant redemption, because that brings two passages to mind. Number one, John 10, 10. The Bible says the thief has not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. How many of you here believe that God has awesome plans for your life? How many of you guys believe that? Because if you don't, you should. He does, I promise you, amazing, amazing satisfaction that you can't get anywhere else. I mean, I used to get high. I used to get drunk. I know what that's like, right? But now I'm high on the Holy Spirit. Now, I used to be under the influence of alcohol, but now I find myself under the influence of God. You know, I used to smoke. I used to do all that stuff and the drugs, man. Let me tell you something. That's not, that's not getting high. This is getting high. When you're high on the Lord. You know, when I was in the world, you know, you have all the whatever, those relationships. That's not love. This is love. This is love. See, it's an abundant redemption. The life that God has for us. John chapter 10, verse 10. And, and whatever you do, uh, I pray that there's no one here that thinks you're the exception. Well, not me. I'm sure him. I'm sure her. I'm sure them, but not me. Listen, all of us, this abundant redemption. I think of John 10, 10, but I also think of Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, because that's where it says, it says, where sin abounds, 
grace abounds much more. And that's the abundant redemption he's talking about, you know? I mean, Spurgeon said, can you drink the ocean of God's grace? Any of you here think you could drink the whole ocean? That would be pretty amazing. I think you'd explode if you tried. <laughs> but now we've been redeemed. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, In him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. You know, hold on to that, you guys. We have this redemption. God bought us back, you know. We, redeeming means that we belong to him. Then we went our own way. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. And, but, but, but we ended up sinking to the slave market. And, and what he did is he bought us back with his blood. We read the same thing if you go to First uh, Peter chapter, chapter 1. And notice what it says in verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And sometimes I think, you guys, it's just hard. It's just hard for it to sink in, you know. I don't know what you, uh, what that, you know, maybe it doesn't even process in your mind or in your heart. You know, you're like, well, okay, God bought me with his blood. Like, what does that mean? You know, God bought me with his blood. Imagine, Imagine if, if I, I bought you with my blood. If I said, here, you can have all my blood. I mean, it's kind of weird, you know, but it, it, it tells us a lot of things. I mean, it tells us how valuable we are, that God would buy us with the blood of his own son. I mean, you gotta you gotta understand who you are, you know. I I love animals. I don't know how many of you guys are animal lovers. Any of you guys love animals? I like to watch the way they eat each other on the programs and stuff. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I do though. But <laughs> anyways, um, anyways, uh, but but they're not made in the image of God. They're not. You are. You are created in the image of God. That's how valuable you are, more valuable than all of creation combined. When God saw you before he ever flung a star into the sky, he thought of you. And he knew we would sin. I trip out on God. In him there is forgiveness. In him there is forgiveness. We know today when I was just spending time with the Lord, I was just thinking, Lord, I'm just tripping out on you that when you were on the cross, you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I trip out on that. I trip. That's how much God wants to forgive us. It's amazing to me. 
know, not only, you know, being bought with his blood, it reveals the value, you know, that we have, but being bought with his blood, it, it reveals the power of his grace, the power of his forgiveness. There's no sin, no series of sins that, that cannot be washed away. You know, I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but I washed my vans today for you because I thought you might be looking at the white part of it right here. And there are certain, you know, certain cleansers that work better than others, but it just seems like nothing gets all the stains out, you know. But, but when, when it, it comes, comes to the forgiveness of sins, there's no sin that God's blood does not wash away. And so, you know, there's hope for us. There's hope for Israel. That's what he says in verse 7. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, man. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him uh, abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so, prayerfully, man, we get a good grip on grace. You guys would know that uh, his forgiveness is so amazing, right? But then there's this hope for peace. In Psalm 131, it's another song of a sense of David. And it says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have care calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, here's that word again, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. And this is an interesting uh, psalm. Um, you know, when you look at verse 1, uh, a couple of interpretations. Some people look at verse 1 and they think that David is is sharing that that he's not, you know, going to, you know, get his eyes on, on the position of being king. You know, he's not going to, you know, strive for that with these great ambitions, you know, for his own selfish and personal interests, you know, that he's not going to do that. And so they'll talk about his humility. And they talk about the fact that David never really did anything to put himself where God eventually would put him. And so, you know, some people see it that way. And, and I think that that's very plausible. But, but when I look at it, to me, when I, when I read verse 1, like I said earlier, it has to do, for me, more with situations and circumstances and, you know, things that I really can't figure out in life. You know, I, like I said earlier, um, uh, some people, they, they think they have every theological answer. I don't. You know, I don't have the answer for every Bible question there is. Um, you know, I, I don't know a lot of times what to do. You know, I, I find myself, uh, you know, not being able to figure certain people out or not for being able to figure situations out. And sometimes, you know, uh, in my uh, arrogance, I'll, I'll try to, uh, I'll try to, you know, figure it out. And the Lord just says, you can't. They're too complex. Manny, you did a lot of drugs before you're a Christian. You're not smart. Uh, you lack wisdom. You lack common sense. You don't rack your brain. Like I said earlier, you, you try to figure it out. And you're going to blow a fuse. And if that doesn't work, you're going to blow your witness. Well, how does this person tick? What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't have to know. I don't have to know why they did that wrong to me. I don't have to know why that beautiful person is sick or why that one is suffering or why that one died. I don't know. I don't know why. You know, 
And so what he's saying right here, and to me, when I when I read it, I think that's what he's saying. You know, neither do I concern myself with with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. What does the Bible say? Isaiah chapter 55. As the heavens are high above the earth, so, God says, are my ways higher than your ways. And so, you know, we we don't try to understand everything. We're not going to get an answer on this side of time for every why that we have. But uh, what he says in verse 2, I have calmed and and quieted my soul like a a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And and you know, what he he has right here is, is is a peace. It's interesting. The same Hebrew word is translated still. Be still, Psalms 46.10 says. Be still and know that I am God, right? And, and what we find right here is that the weaned child, what is the weaned child? I mean, there's a couple of things to consider, but you want to know one of the things it talks about? Grow up, man. Grow up. You know, I mean, a lot of times what happens is uh, people as Christians even, they, they, they're just so caught in, in themselves and they're so caught in their circumstances and they're, they're just always complaining about their lot in life when the, at the end of the day, people got it way worse than, than us, you know? But, but they, you know, you eventually, you know, you, you got to grow up. You know, you got, you got to get into the solid food, um, you know, uh, there's a difference between growing old and growing up. You're like, well, I've been a Christian for 15 years now. So what? <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean you're a mature Christian. When you're a mature Christian, you, you're weaned. When you're a mature Christian, that's interesting. Even that concept, concept if you take it a little farther, now they're feeding themselves. Now they're feeding themselves. They're not dependent on mom's milk. Now they're feeding themselves. And I'll tell you what, when that begins to happen, you begin to grow up, then you're going to get a peace no matter what happens in your life. You're not afraid anymore. You're not afraid. You have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Now, I know for a lot of us here, one of our main struggles is probably not well, what's going to happen to me? Most of you here, you're not like that. Most of us here, are, we're struggling with what's going to happen to my loved ones. What's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to, you know, so-and-so? And, and, and we have to keep the same, you know, theological truths for them, man. You know, God will give us a peace that passes understanding. What does the Bible say? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, it talks about that. And so prayerfully, we get this peace that passes understanding and what ends up happening is we can say, like others say, um, be calm and carry on, right? <laughs> oh, Israel, he says in verse 3, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. So there's this hope for grace that's life-changing, man. There's this hope for peace 
that's life-changing. And I pray that you guys would have that perfect peace. Isaiah 26, 3, it talks about that perfect peace when our eyes are on the Lord. But then the last one, Psalm 132, is our hope uh, for Christ. And notice what it says. It's, again, a song of ascents in verse 1. Lord, remember David and his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord. I'm sorry, these pages are stuck. And vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And what we're, we're going to see in this psalm is that these people were kind of a, away from the temple. It may have been in, in, during a time when they were in Babylon, when they were in captivity. Bottom line is where they were not where they belonged. And they were longing to come back to that place of worship. They were longing to return to their first love. And so they pull out like the promises of God. They, they pull out, you know, the prophecies of God. And they say, hey, Lord, it all started with David. Remember David. They bring up David. Now, it's interesting. The people in captivity, they looked to the, the Davidic, Davidic covenant just like the earlier Jews had looked to the Abrahamic covenant. And we're going to see just as we today look to the covenant of Christ. And so, you know, David had this heart. You guys know, huh? He wanted to, to build a, a temple for the Lord. He, he, he started with him, first of all, bringing the ark back um, from this place right here uh, that was there for 20 years. And David said, hey, if we want to get blessed, let's bring the ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem. And you guys remember he did that in 2 Samuel chapter 6. You can read about that, right? He brought the ark back, but then he had it in his heart to build a temple. To build a temple. What for? Why did he want to build a temple? Did he want to make this big, nice, beautiful building? Is that what it was about, you know, to show the world how, how successful he was as a king? Is that why he wanted to build a, a building for the Lord? No, man. He wanted to, to build a temple to worship, to worship God. You know, and, and that's, I think, when you're away from that, and if you're saved, then that's what you want. You know, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but man, everything that the world has to offer, it, it, it'll leave you high and dry. It will never fill the void within. It will never satisfy. We were created with a hole in our hearts that's the shape of God. And only He can fulfill the void within us. And this, this, this people, they were away from it. They were away from God and they wanted to return. So they bring up David and they said, Lord, you remember David, I wanted to to build you a house and man he was you know dead set on doing this and imagine you know not going to sleep or not wanting to sleep until i find a place for the lord right in verse six he says behold we heard of it 
in e Ephrathah, and that was where the Ark of the Covenant was for 20 years. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. And what's he saying right here? He's saying, you know, Lord, uh, it all started with, you know, this covenant you made with David and how you promised, Lord, to bless him and to give him. And we're going to see two things. Number one, that, that God would set up a, a temple. It's so cool how, you know, guys know David wanted to build the temple. But, but because he had so much blood on his hand, he wasn't allowed to. He was such a mighty warrior. God said, no, I'm going to let your son Solomon build it. So what David did is he gave the plans, he got the gold, the silver, all the materials for the temple. He gave his son the kingdom. He gave him the vision. Son, build a temple for the Lord, right? That was a promise that God gave through Nathan to David that his son would build this temple where people could worship God where people would have a personal and intimate relationship with God. You guys, this is what it's all about. It's not about a religion. It's not about, you know, the superficial stuff. I mean, I praise God for uh, a lot of the other things that, that, you know, we get to enjoy because we're Christians and we have friends and we get to fellowship and have fun and hang out and do all those things. But ultimately, it is between you and God. And what we find right here is just so beautiful because they were away from that. And they're, they're, now they, they want to come back to this. And so they're asking the Father, they're asking God to remember David, who is, we're going to see this, this prophecy, this promise about the temple and what it all meant. And in verse 11, the, the Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. And like I said, this is a prophecy that Nathan had given to David. You know, regarding the fact that the sons of David, that they would be king, they would be the kings in, in Jerusalem. For the Lord, it says in verse 13, has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. And, and what we find right here, what, what he's talking about, this Davidic covenant, it, it, it was, yeah, that David was the one responsible. God put it in his heart to build the temple. 
but but then through David he would have um, the Messiah. What we find in verses 13 through 18 is a promise for the the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the the Son of David. One day himself would rule and reign from Jerusalem. And it's so cool. You know, when, when you, you look, look at, at the Messianic Psalm right here, and what we find is that it's a picture of Jesus, and as he sits on the throne during the Millennial Kingdom, you know, what's going to happen is we're going to be clothed with salvation. We're going to be shouting for joy. People are going to have enough bread. And then our enemies, they're going to be put to shame. And after the Millennial Kingdom we get to ultimately experience what he's talking about here. Like I said earlier, it's you living with God forever and ever in our home called heaven because of the Messiah, because of the Christ, because of the Lord Jesus. And what we find is that that helps me through life. You know, Manny, why do you do what you do, you know? And, and we all have different calls in life. You know, I get, I'm blessed to, to be a pastor. Uh, some of you here, you do other things. You're where God wants you. Now, you might want to quit. You might want to say, you know what, I'm tired of, of this position in ministry, or I'm tired of, of this place and struggles in my family, or I'm, I'm tired of of the job that I have, you know, even though God's the one that puts you there. And, and life, it can be tough. And I, I'm not, I would be lying to you if I, if I said that there weren't times where, you know, the, the thought comes in, just quit, or, or I don't know, maybe some of you here. And I would be lying probably if I didn't say, Lord, I, I kind of would rather just go home. <laughs> I'd rather die. I'd rather die and just go to heaven because that's a lot easier. That would be a lot easier, right? But we have to finish our race. But what, what gets me, what, what keeps me going, what makes me pray, what makes me study, what makes me make that, that phone, phone call, call. What, what keeps me, you know, try to be a, a better husband, even though, you know, we have our struggles with all our relationships, what keeps you going, man? Because you know that this is not it. Heaven. It's not just a, a destination, it's a motivation. And one day, you know, we'll be home in heaven. And what we find is that when you have these hopes, you guys, the hope of grace, how strong that is, the hope of peace, no matter what you're, you're going, going through, the hope of Christ, who one day will reign from Jerusalem, what you find is those hopes keep you right where you need to be. The people who quit, the people who split, the people who don't finish the race are the people that lose hope. Let me close with this last story. In his book, Winning Life's Toughest Battles, psychologist Julius Siegel wrote about the 25,000 American soldiers who were held by the Japanese in POW camps during World War II. Forced to exist under the in inhumane conditions, 
Many of them died. Others, however, survived and eventually returned home. There was no reason to believe there was a difference in the stamina of these two groups of soldiers. The survivors, however, were different in one major respect. They confidently expected to be released someday. As described by Robin's readers in Holding On to Hope, the book that he wrote, he said they talked about the kinds of homes they would have, the jobs they would choose, and even described the kind of person they would marry. They drew pictures on the walls to illustrate their dreams, and some even found ways to study subjects related to the kind of career they wanted to pursue. Sergal goes on to point out that the researchers have found out that a hopeful attitude can lead to changes that improve the immune system, the body's defense against toxins and disease, and hope changes everything. And, and I pray, you guys, we would have that hope in Jesus. You know, if you don't have that hope today, man, I pray that you would know he loves you, and you got to take that step and just say, Lord, I need you. You know, I was talking to my wife the other day, and it was I was kind of uh, blown away just how simple, how simple salvation is. You know, it's not complicated. Well, how do I get saved? How do I know I'm forgiven? How do I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die? Because I'm all messed up. How, how can I know? Well, the thief on the cross, you know what he said? He just looked to Jesus, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he said. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. All you have to do, if you don't know where you stand with the Lord, all you have to do is just say, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus tonight and just say, Lord, remember me. I need you. And I tell you what, if you say that from the heart, he will meet you there.